Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Some of uh, the book of Hebrews, if you ever read it with any depth or any, or any time, that you understand that some of it seems a little odd to us. It's sort of hard to relate to the conversation that's being given in this message in the book of Hebrews. But uh, suffice it to say that one of the things he's addressing is simply this. There were those who were once passionate in their faith for Christ that were getting a little lackadaisical in that. They were slipping. They were growing cold. And uh, maybe it's like this story that I saw recently. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I'll present it with that in mind. But in the center of one of our greatest Midwestern cities, there was a restaurant that was highly rated by the critics. And the, and the name of this little restaurant was called the Holy Ghost Fire Baptized Chicken. And apparently it was, uh, it was a place to go to. Uh, one newspaper critic went to the owner of this after he enjoyed the chicken and said, How did you come up with that name? And here was his answer. We started out as a small struggling church, the Holy Ghost Fire Baptized Apostolic Assembly, and we decided to have a weekly chicken sale so we could pay our preacher. And everybody loved our chicken so much that we started frying chicken every night. Then we really didn't have the time for church anymore, so we closed that and figured that our ministry was just to bring good eating to the neighborhood. Now, I don't know if that's totally factual or not, but I do know this. There are many places that were once vibrant places of worship, and now they are closed and shuttered or a shell of what they once were. And I say that to say to us, we are not immune from that possibility. Because the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, warns the church of all ages and all places and all times, don't go back. But what is the solution to that? What is the solution to that reality? Well, it's simply this, that Jesus is so much better than anything that we could ever look at. Verse 4. Having become, speaking of Jesus, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So this argument, by the way, this argument is not just in verse 1. This goes really basically through the whole book. No matter what you want to talk about, the next subject is going to be the law after our subject that we look at currently where he's talking about angels. And he talks about the sacrifice. He talks about the priesthood. All of it comes back to this. Jesus is so much better. And by the way, if I could just implant that phrase in your heart and mind, I would think we would accomplish something. I don't often do this, all right? I, 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 don't, I don't solicit for amens when I'm preaching or any of that sort of thing. But I am going to ask you to do this. Would you read that phrase at the bottom of the screen there out loud with some, with some, you know, some emphasis, all right? Jesus is so much better. And he is. 
He's so much better than the worst. He's so much better than normal. He's so much better than whatever we think is great. He is so much better. Now, in this context, as we get into the habit of saying Jesus is so much better, the context is what they thought was wonderful was the subject of angels. And that's what he says more excellent than they that he mentions earlier. Look at verse 5. For, which, for to which of the angels did he ever say? And then he goes through a, a number of Old Testament quotes to the end of this chapter. Now, they were really big into angels, and sometimes we, we kind of miss that because, yeah, we're into angels at Christmas time. We hope that Clarence gets his wings and it's a wonderful life, and maybe we have some jewelry or some artwork, that sort of thing. We do know that angels are real, and you see that in this context as well, that they're angels and they're for a very particular purpose. But in their day, in the day of the early church, the, the Jews were all kind of bound up with angels. Most Jews, let me just read a couple things. Most Jews believe the angels were very important to the Old Testament covenant. These esteemed creatures were the highest beings next to God himself. They believed that God was surrounded by angels, and that angels were the instruments of bringing his word to men and working out his will in the universe. Angels were thought to be ethereal creatures made of fiery substance. Many believe the angels acted like God's senate or council, and he did nothing without consulting them. That's, that's way over the line right there, isn't it? For example, uh, they believe that when God says in Genesis, let us make man in our image, he refers to the angelic council weighing in on that subject. They also believe that there were special angels that governed. There, was 12, there were 200 angels who controlled the movement of the stars. There was one special angel, the calendar angel, that controlled the never-ending succession of days, months, and years. A mighty angel took care of the seas, while others superintended the frost, the dew, the rain, the hail, thunder, and lightning. Still others were wardens of hell and torturers of the damned. They were even recording angels who wrote down every word that every human ever spoke. There was an angel of death. On the other hand, there was a guardian angel for every child. In sack one ram, I claimed that they were so numerous that every blade of grass had its own angel. So they were big into angels. Can we say it that way? So he picks out this subject that is part of their Jewish heritage of that time. And he uses it as the counterpoint to say, no matter what you're excited about, don't go back to that because Jesus is so much better, verse 4. Now, maybe we're not excited about angels, but there are some things that could pull at our hearts and tug at our souls to have us get into something that we shouldn't get into, to distract our attention, to steal our passion for the Lord. So even though the answers given in the verses in the rest of chapter 1 may fit angels, they fit anything that may distract us and detract us from our service of God. So let's look at this passage together and see what we can learn today. Now, as I told you, there's a number of verses, and if you, depending on how your Bible is written, whether it's paper or electronic, sometimes it sort of indents the text that is a quotation. Or maybe you have some cross-references down a margin that will help you with that. I've actually had to prepare a chart for me to have in front of me so I can try to keep this straight, which verse he's referring to. There's a number of them. But uh, anyway, let's look at this. So first of all, we have to understand this. His attributes are better. What he possesses in and of himself, his attributes are better than all. Verse 5, For to which of, his, of the angels did he ever say, For you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He quotes there from Psalm 2-7 in the first quote, and 2 Samuel 7-4 in the second quote. And basically, basically the writer of Hebrews, and this was common today, uh, they would kind of just kind of take scriptural references and kind of do a little bit of a mashup and kind of put them all together, and that's what he's doing. They're all from scripture. So the first thing you see about our Lord, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he is the Son of God. 
Now, in the Old Testament, there are places where the angels are referred to as the plural sons of God. That would be with a small s. So he's sort of contrasting that. You're all excited about the sons of God. Let me tell you about the Son, capital S, of God. The only one that has begotten. Today I've begotten you. And he says that from, as I said, from Psalm chapter 2. And he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. There is this uniqueness about Jesus that he is above all, beyond all, and over all. Now, there's some, concept that, that some concepts of this reality of begotten one, or the only begotten of the Father, that, uh, that are sort of, we need to understand that. And some cults go off on this as well. But the reality is Jesus has always existed. You'll see that later in the same passage. He has always had this, this, this aspect of the triune God. He is, indeed, He is the Son of God eternally. Now, there's a special, as far as we can perceive it, yes, He was incarnate. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and entered the world as a baby. So we see it that way. But he's, there's an eternality to it. And the fact is, he is selected over and above all. He is this one. So the attributes of God take us to the better. Well, we could also expand that. Because anytime you're reading the scriptures, anytime we're studying the word of God, whenever our minds are engaged spiritually, there are all sorts of attributes of Jesus. And every one of them could be associated with this thing of saying Jesus is so much better than anyone else because of these attributes. The attributes of sonship, the attributes of eternality, the attributes of all omnipotence, all-powerful, um, his omniscience, that he knows everything, that he's right and pure and loving and merciful. Just, just fill out the list. The fact of the matter is that he is above all and beyond all and before all, and he is the point of it all, and his attributes tell us that Jesus is so much better. But whether it's uh, Holy Ghost fire-baptized chicken or something else, we are very easily distractible people. And we can get distracted from our passion for the Lord. It can be something that's not necessarily bad. It can be something very good. You can get busy. I'm busy building my business or working on the job, trying to get a promotion or trying to earn a living from a family or I'm working another job on the side to kind of get ahead. And all that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that becomes something that so distracts us from our time with the Lord, our passion for the Lord, our service for the Lord, our dedication to the Lord, then we need to come back to do what? That business, that job, that career, that profession, that whatever it is, it may be very good, but we need to come back. Are you ready to say it again? Jesus is so much better because there's going to be a day if it's your business, you're going to hand the keys over to someone else. There's going to be that day when you turn in your papers for retirement. There's going to be that day when they put you out to pasture maybe, whatever it is. There's going to be that day when you can no longer do what it is you're doing, and Jesus is eternal, and he's the point. We need to see that profession, that income, whatever we're doing, is a means that God is using to bless us so we can bless others. It's that God, God approves work and God honors work, but also it, it can steal our passion. Sometimes it's just the things we like to play with. And uh, we like to play. We live in a world where there's, there's any number of things that can, you, know, you can play with. Okay, it could be a hobby, it could be a sport, it could be collection, it could be doing things, it could be travel, it could be whatever. And in and of themselves, none of those things are evil unless they get to the point that they distract us. I would rather do that, I would rather get that, I would rather accomplish that, I'd rather check that off my list than to be in love with Jesus. What do we need to do? We need to understand and intersect with his attributes and come back to simply say this. And I, would, I think it would be a great thing if this little phrase would enter our vocabulary and we'd find ourselves, catch ourselves saying this. Yeah, this is fun, this is good, I like this, but Jesus is so much better.
than even those things that distract us. You've got to figure out what distracts you, by the way. And if you want to know what, if you're married, if you want to know what distracts you, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. If they're brave, they'll tell you. Ask your children. Ask the people that are closest to you. Because sometimes we, we have blinders on. And if there's something that we're out of balance on, come back to this reality that Jesus is the best. Jesus is better. Now, verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 7. And, the angel, and of the angels, he says, he who makes his spirits, angel spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. So here we see that his worship is better. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the, the closing argument, really, for the whole thing, even though it's not the ending argument. He says, you're all excited about angels, and you want to go back to this Jewish concept of angels, and you want to understand that angels are there. And God's angels are real, but he says this, are angels to be worshipped? No, he says this, and this is a quote in verse 6. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. He says to the angels, who makes his angel spirits ministers of flame and fire, excuse me, the preceding verse, let all the angels of God worship him. If angels worship Christ, then Christ is so much better. End of argument. Now for us, how do we apply that? Well, first of all, there's a word that's found in, in verse 7, in the quote from, that you see there in verse 7, which is a quote from Psalm 104, verse 4. He says this, he who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Sometimes we use that word minister sort of in a technical church way, but literally it just means a servant, someone who's serving someone else. So who are the servants? Angels. They are the ones who serve their Lord, so Jesus is so much better. And we understand they, he is receiving of worship from them. Well, what about us? Sometimes in our worship, and we come to worship Him, we come to honor Him, and you've done that this morning. God bless you for that. But sometimes our self gets in the way. Our self. In their context, their self got in the way. You can kind of figure this out. If they saw angels being everywhere in God's service and angels doing everything, angels sort of even crowded out their view of God because if you can figure out what the angels are doing, that's closer to us, and we'll understand God's ways. And in fact, if I've got this all figured out, or someone purported to be that way, we would say, I know something very significant. Therefore, I'm very significant. And also, I can understand all of God's ways. I can, why, why did that dew fall last night? God sent the dew angel to sit, drop the dew on the ground. And I can explain it all. I have all this knowledge. And aren't I special that I've got God all figured out? We don't have God all figured out. Not even remotely close. to God is beyond figuring out how he does all that he does. Now, we can catch him and we can praise him. We understand much of his work, but we are not the experts on everything that God does. We are the servants of God, what God wants us to do. So there was, certain, there was a certain amount of pride and ego for the angel experts of the rabbis of the day. They could explain what God was doing. They knew what God was doing. They, they knew what God was going to do before God did it. Instead of coming and humbling, saying, Lord, we know so little about you, but what we know, we're amazed. And we offer to you our praise. We get caught in the same self, self problem as well. And we come for worship, and, and I love the songs that we've sung. I love the choir song. I love the songs we sing together. I love everything we do, but, and I enjoy that. But you know what? Enjoyment is not the point. We do not come together to enjoy an experience we come together to express something to the God that we love. Now, if we have both, that's all right. 
But you understand, you can go down to the Civic Center and pay a big ticket price and whatever show you want to get. You can experience something you might enjoy. But we are here to move beyond the experience and to make sure that God hears from our hearts. And how do we do that? We remind ourselves that He is the object of worship, both by angels and the redeemed of mankind. And even the judge someday will express their praise to God because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So an ultimate, he's the ultimate person. So we need to remind when, when our self gets in the way, when we think we've got it all figured out, when we think we've just arrived, when we think that we're just here to experience some grand experience of enjoyment, when we come back, would you say it with me one more time? Jesus is better, so much better. So much better, even in the experience we have, because he's deserving of that. So make sure that we recalibrate. And may, may our hearts become like the needle of a compass. That as that needle spins, it just points to the true north of it's all about him. That he is the one. He is so much better. Verse 8, he continues on in this piling up these scriptural references. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So it's talking about kingdom, righteousness, reigning, scepter, got all that? Verse 9. But you have, lo- you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. He continues in verse 10. And the Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up. And they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. So a lot of quotes here. Verse 8 is basically a quote from Psalm 45, uh, uh, where he says that, verse, verse 8 and 9, I should say. And then verse 10 and following, it's Psalm 102, and he gets a little bit of Isaiah 34 in there, and then comes back to Psalm 102. So a lot of stuff mashed together. But the point of the fact is, Jesus is so much better, not only because his attributes and his worship, but his reign is better. And you notice where it starts, verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning. You in the beginning. Verse 8 says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So there's this eternal quality. And when he spoke into existence of creation, it was just a further expression of his eternal reign. Because he will always reign. He always has reigned. He always will reign. So he is the, he's, the, he's the ruler of all, the sovereign ruler of all. Notice the, the expressions you see. He mentions forever in verse 8. Oh, your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. There are no term limits on his reign. There's no one that's going to come and rival him and depose him. There's no coup. There's no assassination. There's nothing that's going to interfere with that. His reign is forever. Then notice it's described in verse 9 as righteousness. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. And that's, again, the anointed one. And the word Christ, the title Christ, literally means the anointed one. So when you see that phrase, anointed one, it's it's a messianic reference, a reference to Christ. You with the oil of gladness more than your companions. There's no other rivals. There's some false teaching that you'll see, especially in the cultic world, that, that Jesus was a created being or Jesus was an angel. Or Jesus and Satan were brothers. I mean, all this kind of weird thoughts. No, no, no. He has eternally existed. He is fully God, always been God, always will be God. And everything else is part of the created order, subservient to him. So the fact is he reigns, and he reigns in righteousness. He reigns with goodness of heart. Notice in the end of that verse, he talks about gladness in verse 9. With the oil of gladness more than your companions. This is a joyful reign. 
This is all positive. And then he gets into this aspect in verses, verse 10 and following, that it's unchangeable. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He spoke it into existence. Why does Jesus get a rain, by the way? You know, if you make something, you have the legal right to do with it what you want. Because you made it, you own it. He made everything there is to be made. He owns it. He's the creator. It factors back to the fact that he is the creator. It's unchangeable. He says, all these things that you made there for a time, they will perish, but you will remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. Just like you change your clothes at the end of the day and you've got to get, get some fresh clothing. He says, that's what the world, the universe is going to be like. Your reign. And it's going to be unchangeable. Middle of verse 12. And they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. He reigns. His reign is better. Have you noticed that sometimes we feel like there's no one we could really trust in? Who are you going to trust in? We've all had this experience in life. Someone you really trusted in, put your faith in, you know, just gave your, your, your love and passion to, and they wound up disappointing you. Sometimes that's a relative or a friend or a relationship or some person on a bigger scale of a leader. Here's the reality. With Jesus, never going to disappoint. He's righteous. Never going to end. He's forever. Never going to be in a situation where there's nothing he can do because he's God. It brings us back to this reality. We need to get in the habit of saying that Jesus is so much better. Sometimes we're disappointed. We feel like there's no one to trust. Uh, I, I'm not going, this is not political. This is just true. There's no one in Washington, D.C. that's perfect. There's no one in the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia that is perfect. There is no one in town hall that is perfect. You understand? They're all flawed. We are all flawed, okay? We're not perfect. Let's be honest about it. But sometimes we feel like, there's, there's, is there anyone we can trust in? We just, get, we just get disappointed again and again and again and again. And it seems like we're almost futile. And sometimes we, I, I've run into a new phrase recently. You know, we used to say when you read the newspapers, well, now you pick up your phone and you just kind of scroll through it. And, uh, and all, most of the news you scroll through is bad. The, the term is now, it's called doom scrolling. You're just kind of like scrolling through doom, doom, bad, gloom, doom, doom. And sometimes we feel like there's no one to trust in. You know what you say at that moment? You've already said it about three times. Say it again. Jesus is so much better because his reign is eternal. He's never going to be rivaled, never going to be deposed, never in a place where he doesn't know what to do, and never lacking in ability to help us. That's where we get our encouragement. So maybe we need to get our Bible on our phone and scroll through some, some psalms. And what would we call that? Joy scrolling? Maybe that? Maybe encouragement scrolling? Sounds a lot better than doom scrolling to me. But we need to factor on that. So in those moments when we're just kind of down because it seems like the world is just coming apart at the seams. By the way, if you talk about that, talk about a garment you just saw there in, the, in those verses in verse 11 and 12. And maybe the world is coming apart at the seams. And that's a fulfillment of that reality that it is going to come apart at the seams. But Jesus is the one who binds and holds all things together. Hope that encourages you a little bit. Now, look at 13 and 14. But to which of the angels has he ever said... Like, I love how you just you challenge them. Here's the question. You ever say this to an angel? Try this one for size. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? His victory is better. And this puts the emphasis on the, the final victory of God. And this is a quote there in verse 13 from Psalm 110, verse 1. 
says, did you ever say this to an angel? You're all hung up on angels. You're all distracted by angels. You think angels, you got it all figured out. You think this is who you're going to trust in. Let me just tell you, Jesus is so much better. His attributes are better. His, his, the reality of his, he's deserving of worship, that his reign, his rule is better. And now the ultimate victory is his. And this quote, as I said from the Psalms, where he says, sit at my right hand. We understand that to be Jesus because all, multiple times, not only in Hebrews, but throughout the New Testament, where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God. So that's a reference to a messianic reference. Till, till this point, till I make your enemies your footstool. You like to go home at the end of the day and prop your foot up, feet up on something, you got a stool or something or whatever, just put your feet up and kind of relax. Maybe you got one of them fancy recliners where it just pops out and you put your feet up. You got one of those things. But uh, if you put your feet on something, it's just a way of saying everything's right and controlled. In the, in the ancient Near East, if a, if a ruler, a military ruler, would conquer their enemies, they'd bring a representative, of the, maybe the king or a general out, and they would force them to lay down and they would put their feet on their neck just to show the final humiliation of that defeat and the, the victory of the honoring king. So in essence, it's a way of saying when it's all said and done, Jesus in his victory, all of his enemies are going to be brought to the point that he uses them as a footstool. Speaking of his superiority, speaking of his victory. And you understand, in spite of the doom scrolling, friends, there's a glorious future ahead for those who are the redeemed, for those who are his children. There's this thing, this place called heaven, the city called the New Jerusalem, this reality that we will bask in the glory and the blaze of God's glory and light for all eternity that his servants will serve him, that we will worship around the throne, that we'll be part of the grand fellowship of the saints and the angels that he describes as being 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands doing what? Worshiping him, the victor. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we need to come to that reality. He is served by angels. Notice again he mentions in verse 14, are not all ministering or serving spirits sent forth to minister or serve, who are they serving? For those who will inherit salvation. That's not angels. That's humans who have been redeemed. Humans who have been saved. What are the primary purpose of angels? Yes, to carry out God's will and understand that. But don't put the emphasis on them. Put the emphasis on God who sent them to serve alongside of us and with us and to us. We're part of the same team. It's not that angels are superior. They have a superior capacity, but all part of God's economy. So think with me for a moment. Do you ever get this feeling? Maybe this goes back to doom scrolling a little bit. Do you ever get this feeling that it seems like more often than not the bad guys win? Or maybe the bad guys don't get justice as quick as we, th we think they should. How are they getting away with that? How, how can those folks, do what, whatever it is, and you, you figure out whatever category is on your mind. And sometimes we feel like there is no justice. There is no righteousness in this world. We feel like it is sort of pointless to even try. He says, no, you're his ministers. The angels are sent to minister to those who are going to inherit, as he says, salvation. And that's the message we cling to. That's the message we proclaim. That's the message we support. That's the reason we're supporting a work clear across the Atlantic as they proclaim Christ there, and we need to proclaim Christ here. And that's how we don't lose our focus. We make the main thing the main thing. We make it all about the Savior, not about us. So when it comes to this moment when it seems like the bad guys win, run back to the Scriptures and see the final victory. 
It's okay in the grand narrative of what God has written in his book. You can go read the last chapter. You can, you can spoil the surprise if you want. You can read the last chapter. And when it's all said and done, he reigns. So when it comes to the people where it seems like all the bad guys are getting away with all the bad stuff and no one holds them to account, you need to understand this. And would you say it with me one more time? Jesus is so much better. And he's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's the one who has loved us. He's the one. Oh, how he loves you and me. We are loved by him. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted him as a Savior, I would hope that you would experience his love. And it comes by understanding that you're in need of a Savior because we're all sinners. It comes from placing your faith in His finished work on the cross, that He died for you and He paid sin's price. If you need some help in understanding that, or maybe you have some questions trying to figure this out, you can see me or one of our pastors or maybe a Christian friend or family member you came with. But just help me understand what it means to be saved. We want to make sure that is settled, that issue is settled. We'd love to help you with that. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... Yes, his attributes are better than all. His worship is for us all. His reign is over us all. And his victory will secure all of us. So whatever you're facing in life, maybe it's something I haven't even conceived of this morning. Whatever you're going through in life, the reality and the answer is what he gives all the way back in verse 4. Would you say it with me one more time? Jesus is so much better. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks too for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.